Good evening, Wart listeners. Thank you for staying tuned to Query, Madison's longest-running radio program devoted to LGBTQ issues. My name is Bill Kingsbury, and I'll be your host tonight. And I'm very pleased to have a very special guest with me tonight that I'll introduce in just a minute. Welcome back again to Query, Wart listeners. This is Bill Kingsbury, your host. And I'm so pleased tonight to have with me on the phone the mayor of Madison, Sacha Rose Conway. Mayor Sacha is the 58th mayor of Madison. Her administration is focused on affordable housing, rapid transit, climate change, and racial equity. She has extensive experience in local policy and practice, having worked with mayors across the country for over a decade and having served three terms on the Madison Common Council. Elected in 2019, she is the city's second female mayor and the first out LGBTQ person to serve as mayor of Madison. She won re-election to her second term decisively this past spring and joins me now on the program. Good evening, Mayor Sacha, and thank you for joining us. Good evening, Bill. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. I can't wait to spend this half hour with you. I really appreciate you making the time. Before we get further in the program, though, I want to highlight the other positions you hold in addition to running the city of Madison, because I think this really illustrates your background and functioning in the worlds of policy and collaborative leadership. Briefly, you're a member of a local government advisory committee for the EPA and Mayors Against Gun Violence. You're the chair of the Climate Mayors Network and founder of Mayors for a Guaranteed Income. You're known to go to the White House or hang out with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. You've testified to a House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis and Climate Resilient Communities. You're newly a member of the U.S. State Department Assembly of Local Leaders, among many other posts. That's a lot. It is a lot. Um, But I feel like each one of them speaks to one of my priorities or one of the things that I believe are really important for Madison um, and important in allowing the voice of Madison and the voice of cities more broadly to be heard on a national and international level. I'm very happy to hear that because I, I... as an ordinary citizen, I share many of the same concerns, climate change, um, racial equity, all these things. And so I'm glad to have you working on those issues for us. Thank you. And shall we rewrote where we got that second part from is uh, your official bio, but news director Shelly Pittman rewrote it, and she took out a lot of the uses of the word policy in there. <laughs> and that's uh, one of the things that just struck me as I was reading your bio is you've been working in policy for a really long time. Is that kind of a superpower that you have? Well, I don't know about a a superpower, but it is true that I am a dedicated and unrepentant policy wonk. Um, I actually didn't um, start my career in policy, though. My degrees and my education are all in science. 
Um, so my undergrad is in biology and my master's is in ecology. And I didn't come to policy until later in life, actually when I moved to Madison, so 20-something years ago, um, was my first job working on environmental policy, and that was at the state level. Um, and then I transitioned into working on environmental policy at the local and the state level, and then I transitioned into just working on local policy more broadly. And I actually worked at UW-Madison for 13 years working with cities around the country on a whole range of different policy topics, and that's how I got familiar with city government and city policy and, and the opportunities of, you know, how you can actually make a difference at the uh -huh. local level and, yep. um, you know, make people's lives better, which ultimately was why um, I wanted to run for office um, when I first ran for the city council and then certainly when I ran for mayor as well. So policy is a superpower of yours. Well, again, I don't know that I'd call it a superpower, but it's certainly something that I care a lot about and, right. and like to work on. And it's been interesting as mayor, um, you know, the, the job is um, certainly includes policy, but um, includes a lot more than that. And that was one of the things that was most surprising to me when I um, became mayor five years ago is, is how broad the job is. Um, but nonetheless, I think we've been able to do some good policy work um, over the past five years and certainly have tried to influence positive policy developments at both the state and national levels um, through that whole list of organizations that you um, went through at the beginning. Um, you know, all of that is about trying to get better policy um, at the state and national levels. Because that's where rubber meets the road in terms of government is in policies and, and budgets. Yep. Yep, that's right. And it's it's really, um, you know, the, the ordinances we pass, the resolutions we pass at the council um, here at the city level, and, and then what we spend our money on is, is really the impact that we have in our community. Yep. Well, and what, speaking of rubber meeting the road, uh, one of the initiatives that you campaigned on in your first term and, and are bringing to reality in Madison is bus rapid transit. Um, we can see those stations going up. I, I tend to hang out mostly on the east side, so I see them going up on East Washington and on University mm -hmm. Avenue. What was your inspiration for bringing bus rapid transit to Madison? So I actually have been a, a student of bus rapid transit for years. Uh, first heard about it um, via the work in, in Columbia and Bogota. Uh -huh. um, and I actually had a... a opportunity to meet the mayor, uh, the current mayor of Bogota recently. Um, it didn't start under her, but she's, she's carried the work forward. And, um, you know, as I was working with cities uh, around the country at UW, had the opportunity to actually visit Eugene, Oregon, which has a bus rapid transit system, and to see it in action. Um, and so when I was thinking about, um, you know, whether I would run for mayor or not, one of the things that I felt like Madison was behind on was investments in transit. Mm -hmm. and really modernizing our transit system and making sure that we did have rapid transit here, mostly because of the geography of the isthmus. Right. Um, we can't afford to try and push more cars through There's East no Washington Ave or out University. University Avenue. Nope, there's no yeah. more room. 
no more room. So I have to find a different solution. And I right. thought that um, based on, you know, looking around the country and the world, that um, bus rapid transit was the right balance of practical and um, impactful. Because we also don't have room for train tracks. Um, exactly. And and light rail, as much as I love a good light rail system, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's exponentially more expensive than bus right. rapid transit. Yeah, I lived in Minneapolis when they put in the light rail system there and and I had been to Bogota when they were mm. and I've ridden on the Transmillennial and it's amazing and so when I when Minneapolis was talking about putting in a light rail system I'm like just do bus rapid transit you guys it's, yeah but they did the light rail and oh my gosh my first ride on that train I was sold but yeah I, did, I mean the, it, it, light rail is pretty amazing and um, I wish we had the real estate and the funds for it. Um, but, you know, maybe we get bus rapid transit and at some point under a different state administration or state legislature and, um, you know, we might get the funds to do a light rail system. I'm going to try and bring heavy passenger rail first, though. That's that's the next thing I'm looking for. Thank, is thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> Just, so for people that haven't aren't familiar with bus rapid transit and maybe they haven't read everything on the website, can you just give us a brief overview of how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the bus rapid transit uh, doesn't replace, but it complements the, the rest of the bus system. And what we're doing is an initial line that will run uh, east-west or west-east, depending on your orientation, um, uh, and just sort of go through. It goes um on the East Washington Corridor, uh, University uh, drops over to the um, hit the West Town area, and what's distinctive about it is that these are longer, larger buses, mm-hmm. and they have all door boarding, so um, you uh, the doors open and you can go in any door, so that facilitates a faster boarding time and a faster exit time for folks. Because you've already paid your fare before you got on the bus. Right, because you've already paid your fare. Um, and they have raised platforms so the bus doesn't have to stop and kneel down. Um, it can just pull right up and you're you're already right there to, to go on quickly. And then there's a number of different technology improvements that allow the um, rider, the the, the, the buses experience to be more rapid. That's why it's called rapid transit. It's not mm-hmm. that the buses drive faster. It's that they have signal priority through stoplights. It's that they um, can, they have center running bus lanes. They have, and there's all these things that add up to shaving seconds, which add up to minutes off of your transit time. And one of the things that we know from studying transit all over the world is that the the shorter the transit time is, the more likely people are to ride the bus. And so it just creates a better rider experience and gets people where they're going faster and more efficiently. Um, and, um, you know, so all of that together adds up into a better experience. And we will have center running um, dedicated lanes for a bunch of the the first line um, where the you know the doors were op- will open onto those center um, 
stations that are you see being built in the, like the middle of um, East Washington or on University or on Mineral Point right now. Um, people can see them going up around the community. So I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be a great experience. Um, we are applying for federal funding for a second line which would run north-south, um, which I'm very hopeful that we will get, um, but that's, uh, that is with the federal government right now. All right. And, you know, I think another thing that's going to incentivize people is not having to deal with traffic through the isthmus. Yes. Yeah. You know, like I, I live on the east side and I work on campus and, man, on days when I have to drive, I'm very sad. Yeah, well, it's, it is, it, it's a really good point because not only is it going to be a better experience for folks who can ride the bus and don't have to be in traffic, but the more people ride the bus, um, then the less traffic there is for the other folks who might be driving. So even if you don't ride the bus personally, having a better bus system does benefit you because it reduces the traffic on our streets. What's not to love? That's right. All right. Well, and if you're just tuning in, Wart listeners, uh, you, this is Query, and I'm speaking tonight with Madison Mayor Sacha Rose Conway. And it just so happened that the things that I really wanted to talk about were also things that are focuses of your administration, um, affordable housing, rapid transit, climate change, and racial equity. And as I was doing research for this program, otherwise known as surfing the internet, I came across a quote from Catherine Clarenbach, who said, we must all, whether woman or man, critically examine the culture in which we live and act and do battle against the culturally destructive forces of which sexism and racism are among the more obnoxious in order to help build a responsible and creative society. Catherine Clarenbach, of course, is one of the founders of the National Organization of Women and mother of a, of a gentleman named David Clarenbach, who many of us here remember as an assembly person who sponsored Wisconsin's first in the nation gay rights law. Yeah, legends, both of them. Yep, yep. And I think Catherine's house is on the way to getting historical landmark status. Yep, I saw that recently. And so, Mayor Sacha, as a woman, as a out lesbian, you can probably speak to how the battle against sexism is going. I, you know, do you feel like, where is that at? Have we we won the battle against sexism yet or not? No, definitely not, unfortunately. Right. Um, uh, You know, it's interesting. Um, We we still, I think, face on a number of fronts issues uh, with sexism. We don't, for example, have gender parity in city employment. Um, And I think that's because a number of the, the... agencies in the city that have the most employees, which basically the top three are police, fire, and transit, mm-hmm. um, are sort of historically, quote, male occupations. And mm-hmm. even though I think all three agencies have made great strides in hiring women, we're nowhere near gender parity. And so we're nowhere near gender parity across the city. And that's just, you know, that's just one example. This is um, progressive Madison. Right. This is progressive Madison. And and everybody's trying, right? And everybody mm-hmm. believes in reaching gender parity, and it's still really hard. Um, I definitely think that 
um, you know, during my time in office, there are ways that I've been treated, things that have been said about me, and ways that I've been questioned or challenged that would not have happened to a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk with other women mayors across the country, and we definitely see patterns. Um, we get attacked more on social media. Um, we actually are, are, I personally have not been, but other women mayors have been physically threatened, um, had to get security. Their, their um, people have protested their houses, their families have been threatened. I mean, so, and, and that's not happening at the same level to male mayors. So I, I definitely see that as a pattern. Um, and I think, frankly, that um, sexism, like racism, like anti-Semitism, like Islamophobia, like transphobia, like anti-gay sentiment, is all made worse under the former president. Mm-hmm. Um, who sort of gave license to the the worst behavior possible, yeah. um, and it, you know I think we're still fighting back against that and trying to um, make it clear that that kind of behavior isn't acceptable in our communities, and when you see it even. In the recent upticks in anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, um, you know what people feel um, entitled to do or say, um, and the, the ways in which they feel able to behave, um, I think, is really frightening and and um, disappointing in our community. I, I mean, I see that. You know, I can I can talk to my women friends about that, and you know they. They know that they get questioned differently than their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. So that's half of Catherine's uh, list. There, um, the other half is the racism, and and wh- one of the things I've been looking at is the uh, race to equity report, the ten-year mm-hmm. report, um, which is for people who aren't familiar with it. Um, well. I'm I'm not even sure I can describe it very well. It's a it's where is it where are we at with racial equity kind of report, and one of the, one of the statements in there, and the, well, and the bottom line is it's not good, but one of the statements that's right. <laughs> one of the statements in there says simultaneously, well, while mm, let me start this again, while some black Dane County residents have seen improvements in their in their economic well being. Simultaneously, centuries of policies created to benefit wealthy white residents enacted by lawmakers at the city, county, state, and federal level have blocked others from opportunity. These policies have produced and continue to perpetuate the racialized disadvantage of black Dane County residents, which impact black and men and women uniquely. As a result of these policies, black residents are the first and hardest hit during times of economic turmoil, such as the Great Recession, and usually the last to recover from it. So that's from the Race to Equity Tenure Report. And the thing that, the reason I wanted to ask you about this quote is because it's talking about policy. And I wonder if you have anything to comment on the the historical policies that have brought us to the point where black residents lives in Madison can be so different than white residents' lives in terms of health, in terms of economic well-being, in terms of infant and mother mortality, all these, yeah. all these things that are measured 
and and Madison and Dink County are not unique in this in Wisconsin, um, but Wisconsin is one of the worst places in the nation to be black. And that's and, right. And Dane County yeah. and Madison are among the worst places in Wisconsin to be black. So, what insight do you have into the policies that have brought us to this place? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I have to say, I would really recommend that people read the report. Mm-hmm. I think it's by Kids Forward, and they did a really good job, um, I think, of of putting uh, the facts and figures in context. Um, so definitely encourage folks to, to seek that out. I, You know, there's a lot of a lot of pieces of policy that have impacted this um, over the decades. I want to take just one thing, and that's housing. Mm-hmm. And so if you look back historically, um, you know, most folks have heard about redlining, but mm-hmm. these, you know, many cities, including Madison, um, there were maps that were created um, by insurance companies that basically said, um, you know, here's, here's the, quote, good neighborhoods, and here's the, quote, bad neighborhoods. And that was picked up by the real estate industry um, and many, many other folks. And essentially what it did was say, like, we, like here's where white people should live, and here's where people of color are going to be relegated to. And um, that we're not going to build as good housing, we're not going to offer as good insurance, there's not going to be opportunities for home ownership. Um, you know, other policies have contributed to the lower rates of home ownership amongst black people, um, which then means that they don't have as much opportunity to build generational wealth, since most generational wealth is built through property ownership in this country. Absolutely. We could debate whether that's a good thing or not, but it is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of that rolls up into today where, oh, sorry, one, one more piece of sort of historical information, and that is when redlining was outlawed, um, what Madison did was put severe restrictions on building multifamily housing and sort of protected white neighborhoods from having multifamily housing built, Very which was a way of protecting those neighborhoods from having people of color move in. Mm-hmm. And so we have this legacy here in Madison, both of the redlining, but then of the restrictions on multifamily homes, um, which, you know, basically result in segregation in our community. Right. And that's a piece of legacy that I've been trying to interrupt. So how, <coughs> Excuse me. Well, so trying to make sure that we actually can build all types of homes in all neighborhoods. That's that leads right. You you started to answer my next question, which is so. What are the policy? Uh, what are the policies that the city is working to implement now that can mitigate some of that? And yeah. So part of it is um, you know working on adjusting our zoning mm-hmm. um, to make it easier to build housing. Um, a part of it is focusing on infill density and development in existing neighborhoods. Um, you know, in some places, as for example, along East Washington, that might look like 10 and 12 story buildings. In other places, it might look like backyard cottages. Mm-hmm. Um, but allowing more density and thus more people to live in more neighborhoods. And um, the other thing that we've done is support uh, first time homebuyer programs mm-hmm. um, and make um, 
down payment assistance available to folks who, you know, maybe don't have that same generational wealth um, to help people get into the housing market. Now, today's housing market is pretty tough. So we're also trying to figure out how we can spur the construction of more affordable ownership opportunities, including um, townhomes and condos. And so that's something that we're actually actively working on right now so that more people can take advantage again of that opportunity to have to buy your first home and to build wealth through that. Because so many times when people buy a house, their mortgage payment is less than what they were paying in rent somewhere. And Mm -hmm. instead of that money going to build your landlord's wealth, it can build your own wealth. Right. That's right. But people need to have that down payment. They need to know how to, you know, the process of becoming a home buyer. It's, you know, it's complicated, not necessarily intuitive. And we need to have that housing stock available in our community that's at an affordable level for a first-time home buyer. So that's all things that we're trying to work on. Excellent. Well, we are winding it down here as far as uh, the clock goes. Um, you know, when we're in the, the Yule holiday season, uh, are there any wishes you have, Mayor Sacha, for the people of Madison that Santa might bring us something nice? <laughs> well, I certainly hope that uh, whatever your belief system, that everybody has a moment to rest and recharge during the winter holidays and to appreciate the warmth of family and friends um, as we come into the darkest part of the year. And then to think about what our intentions are for bringing more light into the world as we move past the solstice and into the new year. Um, Madison's such a wonderful place to live, and we all are part of that. So I wish the best for everybody in in this winter season. Thank you, Mayor Sacha Rose Conway, for joining me on Query this evening. This thank ha- you so much, Bill. This has been Query on WORT. I want to say thank you to the mayor. Thank you to Emmett, my engineer tonight. Um, thank you to my good neighbor, Mr. Tom Smith, for doing the PR the old-fashioned way, calling people on the phone and telling them to listen. Uh, coming up after... This show is This Way Out, a fantastic international news magazine that you can hear right here. Thank you, and have a good night, everybody.